research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view, this is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. This is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we explore corruption and cronyism in Washington, D.C. Now, what the political class wants you to believe is that what really matters is what's legal and illegal as far as corruption is concerned. Um, and the fact is that's simply not the case. Indeed, when you look at the way that corruption is handled in Washington, D.C., the politicians themselves get to write the rules. They get to determine what's legal and illegal. And so we're going to talk today about the different pockets that they use um, to have you put money in their pocket. Um, and some of them are obvious campaign committees. Sometimes it involves hiring a family member. Maybe they set up a charity, but there's one Eric Eggers, that uh, a lot of people haven't heard of. They're called behested payments. That's right. One of our top researchers, Jacob McLeod, had a piece in Reason recently where he exposed and explored this unique facet of fundraising in California where the governor is able to direct companies to make payments on behalf of his pet initiatives. And it just so happens that, uh, well, when the government has larger powers than normal, like, say, during a global pandemic, uh, that there's a lot more benefits that those companies that donate to the causes can receive on behalf of the governor. And that's what uh, we've uncovered. So behested payments, I love it. It's got kind of a Middle Ages quality to it. Um, it's an odd phraseology. And by the way, it's it's a payment. It's not a donation. So they're even kind of above board of how this works. So we're going to talk about uh, that in a little bit. Uh, but, Eric, a lot of people, when they look at corruption, they say, well, look, if it's not illegal, why should I be worried about it? Yeah, I think George Stephanopoulos is among one of those that asked that question <laughs> of you, right? Do you have any evidence of a crime being committed. I like that that's the new standard. Yeah. And, and imagine for a second, if this applied to the rest of us or, or applied to your kids, where the kids get to establish the rules of what is acceptable conduct or not, they're going to create as wide a parameter as possible, right? That's just human nature. Well, politicians get to write their own rules. And so what's funny is that they have these different pockets. They have a campaign committee, for example. You give donations to their campaign. They have a leadership pack, which is a whole nother political fundraising avenue. Um, you can do certain things with the leadership pack that you cannot do with your campaign committee, right? There are certain personal payments that you can make to subsidize your lifestyle with a leadership pack that you can't do with ordinary campaign funds. So the key thing is just, just be smart about it. Use the right pocket to pull the money out of, and you will stay out of trouble, even though the act is actually the same. Well, what do you mean? What kind of stuff can you do with a leadership pack that you can't do with a regular campaign? Well, great question. So uh, entertainment expenses. Um, you cannot use your campaign dollars to buy a box of cigars. You cannot use it uh, to take you and your family um, on a trip to Edinburgh, Scotland to stay in a castle. But actually just to pick one city <laughs> at random with no real thing. Yeah. Right. R.I.P. Rob Andrews's congressional career. Right. Exactly. But in fact, that's what members of Congress have done. Now, if you did something 
some of those things with your campaign, normal campaign money, uh, you'd get into trouble because you cannot do uh, personal uh, enrichment or personal benefit in that way. Like some people like, say, Jesse Jackson Jr. did, who actually went to jail. His mistake was maybe he just didn't set up a leadership pack. Uh, well, I <laughs> Uh, maybe, right? Uh, because I think just to be clear, like while some people can buy things out of the leadership pack as, as you exposed in your book extortion, I think we, in part of the research for that, we found like Super Bowl tickets and lavish, uh, you know, golfing junkets and, um, you know, heftier booze bills than I've seen before at any <laughs> public disclosures. And that's all legal with the leadership pack. Some of the things that Jesse Jackson Jr. was purchasing with his regular campaign funds, I think would still fall short of acceptable expenditures, even for a leadership pack. Do, do tell. Well, I think my man was over here buying, uh, you know, for thousands of dollars, like a fedora. I mean, everybody loves Michael Jackson, the king of pop. Right, right. I have yet to purchase any previous clothing <laughs> items owned by Michael Jackson. Jesse Jackson Jr., you know, bought a, a fedora from Michael Jackson for $5,000, was buying leather capes and uh, capes. things of that nature. Capes. Well, you know, it's Chicago. It gets cold. I don't know. What, I don't know what people are doing with capes. But uh, You're right. You could not use leadership money to do that. So you were absolutely correct about that. Yeah, but they, I mean, he was uh, convicted in, for campaign fraud uh, in 2013 for spending, you know, this one's going to hurt, $750,000 in campaign funds on personal items. And then there was the old failing to report $580,000 in income on their taxes. So between yeah. those two things, apparently the governing powers in, in charge had a little problem with Jesse Jackson Jr. Yeah, and here's here's what Jesse Jackson Jr.'s problem was. Um, he was too obvious and he was too blunt about it, and he should have gone to jail for it. But a lot of these guys can be very sophisticated in how they handle their campaign money and their leadership pack money uh, to where it is still unethical. They're still subsidizing their lifestyle. Okay, they're not getting the leather cape, but they're still using their campaign money for the same thing. They're being smart about it. Another pocket that people use is a charity. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this in the context of the Clinton Foundation. We're going to be talking about that when it comes to these mysterious behested payments. But there actually have been um, elected officials like Corinne Brown who have gone to jail uh, for activities related to charities as well. Yeah, that's right. Uh, she and a co-conspirator, a co-conspirator were soliciting over $800,000 for a charity, the uh, One Door for Education. And they promised that the funds would go to college scholarships and other things that seem like wildly appropriate. Well, it turns out that uh, $300,000 of the money went to events hosted by Brown or held in her honor. And of the $800,000, how much money do you think actually made it into the pockets of students for scholarships? I would say $750,000. It's very close. <laughs> Not close at all. It's two $1,200 scholarships. So $2,400 in scholarships went to the actual students. Um, of the $800,000. And uh, one of the problems Corinne Brown ran into is in addition to the, you know, rampant fraud, uh, there was also a lack of disclosure. None of the money was ever disclosed uh, for her as income. So bit of a challenge. So there's another pocket that politicians can use. They can set up charities. And again, if you do what Corinne Brown did, if you're so over the top, right, uh, you're going to go to jail, but you could have a charity and you could put your kids on the payroll, right? You could have political sponsors or people that want something from you as a politician, put it into your charity and you could hire your kids uh, in the charity. That's kind of an indirect way of subsidizing your family. Uh, and there would be nothing illegal about doing that. Yeah, nothing illegal. Um, nothing illegal about it at all. In fact, that's kind of one of the, the points, right? There's a bit of a double standard 
you know, you've done a lot of great research on something called the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, in which people have run afoul of, you know, companies when they go overseas, they will hire the family member of a governing official in a country like Japan or China. And it turns out that's like the United States has laws against that. Right. Right. right, right. No, you are not allowed to go overseas and hire the family member of a foreign government official. Right. But people (laughs) people hire the family member of current you know, elected officials in the United States all the time. All the time. Yeah, we've got something in the United States called the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. So this is the genius of Congress, right? The evil genius of Congress. They passed this bill called the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, which sets all these parameters on terrible, evil things that companies can do that are corrupt overseas. But those same companies, if they do them in the United States with American politicians, they're okay. And if foreign companies do it with American politicians, it's okay. To give you an example from the charities, uh, a pharmaceutical company was doing business in Poland, uh, and they uh, donated to the charity of a Polish politician. It was actually a legitimate charity to restore castles in Poland. I haven't seen any castles in Poland, but I imagine they're beautiful. And they made this donation to a legitimate charity. They ended up being fined by our Justice Department because it was inappropriate for them to donate to a legitimate charity connected to a politician in Poland. But in the United States, there was this thing called the Clinton Foundation, where hundreds of millions of dollars were donated to a politician's charity. That would be Hillary Clinton. She was secretary of state. Um, did anybody ever get charged as, as it was related to that, Eric? Uh, well, not according to Mr. Stephanopoulos. And I think that's exactly <laughs> the point. That's why it's just making stuff up. No. Do you have any evidence that a crime may have been committed? Well, I think it's if you look at a couple of recent examples, for example, uh, Governor McConnell down in uh, Virginia, or you look at Senator Menendez. In these cases, you didn't have evidence of a quid pro quo. What you had was funds flowing to elected officials, some of them gifts, some of them campaign contributions and actions that were being taken by those public officials uh, that seem to benefit the contributors. Um, certainly, I think it warrants investigation. Uh, what that inve- investigation but a criminal will criminal investigation? We'll, we'll see. I mean, that's what the Governor McConnell has faced, and that's what Menendez has but, faced. Uh, and I think the evidence here is far more uh, widespread in terms of repeated action than there were in those two instances. As you know, the Clinton campaign says you haven't produced a shred of evidence that there was any official action as secretary that, that supported the well, interests of donors. We've done investigative work here at ABC News, found no proof of any kind of direct action. And an independent government ethics expert, Bill Allison of the Sunline Foundation, wrote this. He said, there's no smoking gun, no evidence that she changed a policy based on donations to the foundation. No smoking gun. Is there a smoking gun? Yes, the smoking gun is in the pattern of behavior. It was confirmed on Thursday, both by the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, that there are multi-million dollar non-disclosed donations that were made to the Clinton Foundation that were never disclosed by the Clintons. This is a direct breach of an agreement they signed with the White House. That, that is an issue for them, but it's not a criminal. Uh, it's, it's not nothing that would ruin a criminal investigation. So the assistant secretary who sat, assistant secretary of state who sat on the committee said she never intervened on any CFIUS issue at all. Well, I think that deserves further scrutiny. I would question that. To argue that... But based on what? Based on what? Well, I think based on you, her Do you have record, any evidence that she actually intervened in this issue? No, we don't have direct evidence, but it warrants further investigation because, again, George, this is part of a broader pattern. 
you either have to come to the conclusion that these are all coincidences or something else is afoot. And that, that is that the Clintons do say it's coincidences. They say you've produced no evidence. And I still haven't heard any direct evidence. And you just said you had no evidence that she intervened here. George, what did I do when this book was completed? I went to the investigative unit at The New York Times, the investigative unit here at ABC. I went to the investigative unit at The Washington Post, and I shared with them my findings. Okay, these are not cupcakes. These are serious researchers and investigators, and they are confirming what I've reported. So people can look at the fact they haven't come. They haven't confirmed any evidence of any crime. I mean, I think that's what's so crazy is that, you know, we're joking about the George Stephanopoulos thing. And we just heard from a clip and an excerpt of what George Stephanopoulos said when he was interviewing you when your book Clinton Cash came out. But I mean, what a bizarre thing, because he was so adamant and so defensive that you didn't have anything to prove in terms of a crime. Right. So A, he's totally missing the point. And B, it turns out there was actually a little bit more to the story. Yeah. And of course, the standard at ABC News is they're only going to report things where you prove a crime has been committed, right? <laughs> no, the, the, the big offense, I think, with George Stephanopoulos was not only um, the way that he tilted the conversation, but more importantly, the corrupt nature of the conversation, because it came out after that interview where he was so gloriously defending the Clintons and defending the Clinton Foundation. It came out that he himself had donated only recently seventy five thousand dollars to the Clinton Foundation, never disclosed it in the interview uh, that came out was very embarrassing. Uh, a, a lot of journalistic uh, uh, scholars and professors said this was a huge ethical violation, but of course, did not cost him his job. And he just kept bumping right along. I mean, we obviously started this podcast so because we, we want to ex- continue to expose the things that the media won't tell you. We're doing research that nobody else is doing, and we want you to be able to hear interesting facts about how corrupt the American governing system is. And I remember there was two things that I think stood out to me as far as like the setup of the Clinton Foundation as it relates to a clear receptacle for people trying to curry influence, right? Number one is the amount of money that Bill Clinton made in terms of his speaking fees and the profound spike we saw in terms of his speaking fees while Hillary Clinton was secretary of state. I think it was like nine of his most 11 lucrative speeches, to use a term you like, uh, were given while Hillary was secretary of state. Right. So so very pronounced, statistically significant spike. And then the inverse of a spike, the dramatic drop off in terms of the donations of the Clinton Foundation. Once Hillary stopped being secretary of state, you wonder sort of and but not just stopped being secretary of state when she lost her bid for presidency. So you sort of wonder, like, what was it? Uh, I wonder some, some random circumstantial thing that caused people to stop thinking that the Clinton Foundation was a worthwhile charitable enterprise. Yeah. So for some reason, after she lost the presidential bid in 2016, donations dropped some 83 percent. Most of those from overseas entities. So you imagine, gosh, was there a connection between the two? I think there was. So you mentioned Bill Clinton and uh, Bill Clinton, of course, was the spouse of the secretary of state and the presidential candidate. And that brings up another pocket in addition to charities and campaign donations. And in this pocket, we are talking about family members. So think about this for a second. You know, if we have kids, adult kids or younger kids, we care about them. uh, We love them. We want the best for them. Um, Sometimes the way that you can get a payoff or you can get a benefit uh, is by hiring the kid of a politician. So in other words, you can't give money to the Speaker of the House. You can't put it, take a shoebox of money and give it to him. That would be illegal. That would be stupid. You'd end up like Jesse Jackson Jr. in jail. But You can hire the kid of the Speaker of the House, even if they have no qualifications, 
uh, and then that individual can be paid. Um, how is that any different than just paying the politician themselves? Well, I agree with you, but I find it. You're telling me that people, you can just hire the family member of a politician with no experience whatsoever. <laughs> and that's something that happens. That's something that corporations actually do. It, it, it is. It is quite stunning. Um, one of my favorites was Dennis Hastert, uh, who was the Speaker of the House 15, 20 years ago, Republican from Illinois. Uh, he became Speaker of the House. And lo and behold, his son uh, whose prior experience in policy clearly is a, a decades of lobbying decades of maybe worked in the legislature had something you know had no. maybe he's got a master's degree in public policy something like no, that no but he did previously own a small record label called seven dead arson mm. which i don't even quite know what that illusion is seven dead arson but the point is this guy went once his dad became speaker of the house went from owning a small record store to becoming one of the highest paid lobbyists in washington dc so how is that not corrupt it's not corrupt because the politicians get to write their own rules and they say this pocket which is paying off members of my family is a legal form of corruption we're going to allow no, it's exactly the same model we saw with the Clinton Foundation, right? You see these companies that have some issues overseas, whether it was somebody trying to get access to minerals at a mine in an African country, or somebody that was having a challenge with some cell phone technology, right? I mean, Digicel was this very famous Haitian cell phone company that started paying Bill Clinton speeches and saw a dramatic rise in terms of their footprint in Haiti and their profitability, right? So this is clearly the way things are doing. In Dennis Hastert's example, AT&T was having a problem with the subsidiary of Singular, remember Singular Wireless? Another RIP, and that's when they hired uh, the son of Dennis Hastert. Of course, Dennis Hastert, not the only member of a, you know, not the only prominent member of Congress to have family members as lobbyists. I mean, Harry Reid's got like 17 kids. All of them are lobbyists, right? <laughs> that's right. Senator Harry Reid in Nevada um, didn't quite have 17, uh, but he had four three sons and a son-in-law who were all registered lobbyists while he was the Senate majority leader. Uh, and he um, saw to it that his family did quite well. These are guys that really did not have a lot of experience in lobbying, but their number of clients they received increased enormously uh, as Harry Reid rose to prominence. And of course, this brings up a more contemporary example of a family member benefiting. Uh, do I dare utter the words Hunter Biden? Uh -oh, who's that? <laughs> <laughs> the other great advantage to having this pocket of paying family members like Hunter Biden getting these foreign deals is it gives you plausible deniability. I mean, if money shows up in Vice President Joe Biden's bank account, the evidence is pretty clear. But if your son, in this case, Hunter Biden is getting these deals, you can deny. Well, I, I didn't know anything about it, even though we know based on the fact that they mention it. They talk about things together all the time. And we now know for a fact that Joe Biden met with Hunter Biden's foreign clients. So it's important to recognize there are advantages to sort of offshoring your corruption, letting your family members get the deals and get the payoffs rather than you. Because as you've noted many times, the Biden story on this has evolved, right? Hunter went from saying, oh, I don't make any money whatsoever on any of these deals. Well, now we've seen yeah. that his one deal in China is worth an estimated $20 million dollars. Joe Biden initially said, I had no knowledge. We've never discussed it before. And even that's evolved. So uh, it's important that we continue to talk about these things because it eventually forces, along with the additional reporting as the attention is raised, finally some answers and actually the truth. There is no controversy about my son. It's all a lie. My son, Hunter, is the smartest guy I know. Hunter Biden, your son, was getting paid a lot of money to serve on the board of a Ukrainian energy company facing serious corruption charges. You were the vice president running point on Ukraine 
the average Joe hears that and says, that sounds fishy. What's your understanding of what your son was doing for an extraordinary amount of money? I don't know what he was doing. I know he was on the board. Did you say your da- you and your dad talk every night? Every night, yeah. Yeah, well, we talk at least every night, yeah. I want to get to the heart of it. Did you and your father ever discuss Ukraine? No. Hunter gets a phone call from his father saying, I hope you know what you're doing. And he says, uh, and he says, I do. I do. And that's it. That's the end of the okay. conversation. We saw you yep. in those photos getting off of Air Force Two with your daughter, with I, your father. I you have were traveled there. everywhere with my dad. And, with, and I went there because my daughter was right. on the trip, too. But did you talk about China no. or your deal with China? No. A 12-hour flight over? No, no, of course not. That never came up? No. Your father did shake hands with Mr. Lee, though, correct, in the lobby of that hotel? I don't remember, but probably, yeah, I hope so. I hope he did. He was my friend. Jonathan Lee. Yeah, for for uh, almost uh, 13 years. He was your friend and your business partner. Yeah, but I understand. So really, Amy, whether I'm in New York or whether I'm in Washington, D.C., a friend and a business associate is in the hotel, and my dad's sitting there. Is it inappropriate? For me to have coffee with them? I don't so that find meeting anything was wrong. not a mistake. It was not unethical. 100% not. No. It- All I know is that not one investigative body, not one serious journalist has ever accused, or has ever come to the conclusion that I did anything wrong or that my father did anything wrong. I- have you received any money from no. that business dealing? No. At all? Not no. one cent? Not one cent. Let me just ask some questions about all of this broadly. Vice President Biden, there have been questions about the work your son has done in China and for a Ukrainian energy company when you were vice president. In retrospect, was anything about those relationships inappropriate or unethical? Nothing was unethical. Yeah, I mean, Joe Biden's initial position was I've never had any conversation with my son about any of his dealings. That ended up being a lie. Then it evolved to Hunter Biden saying, well, I've never made a dime off of any of these deals as if he somehow were charitably helping Chinese investment banks. Uh, It's ludicrous. We now know that's not true. We know that he got literally tens of millions of dollars from these foreign entities, then the position has shifted to, well, Joe Biden didn't personally benefit. And we'll have to see you know, where the other shoe drops on that. But the bottom line is, this is the reason you have to continue to stay after these people, meaning politicians. And in this particular case, the Bidens, because they will lie, they will resist, they will obscure what's actually going on. Uh, and eventually the truth will come out and has to come out. No, I think we spent a little bit of time talking about Hunter Biden. And I think that's maybe that's like the big picture frame that people need to kind of stay camped out on. Right. You don't have a problem with somebody making money. Right. Absolutely not. I mean, uh, and you don't even necessarily have a problem with somebody making money by working overseas. But I think your point is, and this is something as long as I've known you, you've always drawn a distinction between it's illegal for foreign governments, right, or foreign entities to contribute to or sort of interfere in American political campaigns, right? That's, that's right. That's very clear. Yeah. So that's why the Hunter Biden stuff, I think, strikes you as particularly uh, furtive, right, and nefarious because you see that as when Hunter Biden's doing business overseas, he's become a vessel by which foreign governments can legally and perhaps against the will of the Constitution, the framers of our government, influence the decisions and direction of the United States government. No, that, that's exactly right, Eric. And it demonstrates this whole uh, concept we've been talking about having different pockets. So you have somebody that wants something from you, you're a powerful figure. They can't put money into one pocket. So, for example, if there's a foreign entity, a foreign corporation or foreign government, they can't donate to your campaign. That's against the law. What they can do 
as the Clintons found out, is they can donate to your charity. So we're going to have them put it in that pocket instead. Joe Biden didn't have a charity at the time, or maybe Hunter was his charity. But Hunter gets hired by these foreign entities. Um, and again, it's quote unquote legal, even though it has all the markings of a payoff. So it's about finding these channels or these pockets where people can put money. Uh, and look, the bottom line is, is why on earth? Was Bill Clinton getting higher speaking fees when his wife was secretary of state than he was before and after? Why did the donations drop off? We know. Why was Hunter Biden getting all these deals from foreign entities while his dad was vice president? We all know the answer to it. It's because it's 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 corruption. It's influence peddling. Um, and that's the reality of, of the problem we face today. It's corruption and it's influence peddling and it's legal. And I think yes. that's sort of like, you yes. know, I think you like to use the phrase. This real scandal in Washington is not what's illegal, but what's legal. And to your point, as you mentioned earlier, it's legal because the people that are benefiting are the ones that wrote the rules. So here's a question. Here's the question. I don't know. We can answer it. I certainly have opinions on it. What is worse to have a American politician who has his son hired by a bunch of companies to be a lobbyist when he's clearly not qualified, making millions of dollars to have a son cutting foreign deals that he's not qualified for? Or to have a congressman use his congressional donations to buy a fedora, which is more damaging and more corrupt and more corrosive to our process. Well, the fedora is going to get more clicks, right? I mean, especially <laughs> yeah. if it's Michael Jackson's fedora. <laughs> what color was it? Do you remember? Uh, you know, I do not remember. But with Michael Jackson, like literally there's no telling. <laughs> <laughs> but but I would say that, yeah, to your point, um, if we're talking about altering actual policy outcomes, we're talking about altering actual yeah. direction of decisions made and we're making decisions that benefit foreign governments and foreign citizens over the actual United States voter and taxpayer, then obviously, you know, the, I think one's clearly more corrosive. Yeah. And that's that's the problem. The the rules are written by the political class. They get to decide and, and determine what's legal and what's illegal. And they're not going to emphasize the things that they are most interested in. They're going to they're going to create a clear legal channel to do the sorts of things they want to do. And it's really, frankly, only the dumb or the arrogant politician who ends up getting caught and going to jail uh, because the rules are written in such a way that you can you can. You can accept money from people. You just have to make sure it goes into the right pocket and you can use money for your personal benefit. You just have to draw it out of the right pocket. I mean, that's what makes what's happening in California so crazy, right? To sort of bring it back to the, the behested payments that we discussed at the beginning of things. So this has been a program and this has been a vehicle for companies to make donations on behalf of a governor's or elected officials designated cause, right? For some time, it's happened for Los Angeles mayor, Eric Garcetti as well. But what's insane is that as that what COVID sort of revealed is just maybe what the true motivation for making these payments are and is as the power of government became more centralized during the COVID pandemic, the amount of behested payments skyrocketed $226 million Unbelievable. given to, you know, these sort of pet causes of uh, Governor Newsom in 2020 in 2019, according to, again, Jacob McLeod's excellent research was $12 million. So to go from 12 to 226, what changed? I mean, maybe there's a need for more charitable donations. We got some more community need because of a global pandemic, but also there's clearly a mechanism for greater benefit. Oh, absolutely. And, and here's the problem with the behested payments to sort of step back is it sounds so great, right? A politician can uh, encourage or request or solicit that a company or an entity that has interests before them 
in in state government in California can request that they make a donation to a charity. Well, what's wrong with that? Charities are great. Here's the problem. These charities are oftentimes charities run by the politicians themselves. Uh, Mayor Garcetti has something called the Mayor's Fund. Guess who runs the mayor fund? <laughs> he does. And the mayor determines who is who that charity is going to give the money to. Here's the other problem with it. If you are donating to a political campaign for state office in California, there's a cap on how much you can donate to that race. Right. There's no cap on behested payments. I mean, you can go to Disney. You can go to any corporation you want and say, you know what? I think it'd be great if you donated 20 million dollars. Uh, to my charity because we're going to do all these wonderful great things with it um so it's open to abuse and and again as they always always do in such a cynical way they wrap it in this wonderful package of oh this is just about helping people the only people that it's ultimately helping is these politicians because now they've got walking around money that they can use in their charity to help their political allies and punish their opponents. Well, it helps the politicians. It also helps the companies that are donating to these pet causes, right? How, so, how does it do that? Well, so for example, I mean, in Los Angeles and in California, generally, there's a lot of criticism over the restrictions on just what restaurants could do, even restrictions on outdoor dining. Right. But they permitted film and television production to continue. And it just so happens that one of the people that donated, one of the companies that donated for the first time to the behested payments system was Netflix, right? Yeah. Along with other film and television entities. Um, I mean, the biggest ones that, that got the headlines, which I think is actually quite shocking, uh, Blue Shield of California and Kaiser Permanente, these two insurance companies, donated uh, $45 million for something called Project Home Key, which is Governor Newsom's housing initiative. Yeah. And then it just so happens that they were tapped to get these no-bid contracts to essentially administer a lot of the COVID-19 relief efforts, right? Uh, imagine that, a no-bid contract, which, right. <laughs> of course, as the name implies, you actually don't bid on it. There's no auction. There's no competitive, um, uh, uh, you know, there's no contest to determine who gets it. The governor just says, we're going to give it to them and we're going to give it to them. And and in this case, it was people that donated to his charitable cause. Yeah. And then, you know, the parent company of Google was involved in d donating ads for COVID-19 awareness. Uh, AT&T was involved in this and they also received contracts and something in the name of COVID relief. So it's a pretty clear pattern of transaction. But as you noted, uh, it is legal and therefore it's nothing to see and we shouldn't be talking about it. <laughs> it, it is uh, it is truly remarkable. And the old phrase, never let a crisis go to waste is clearly here. What were those numbers again? It was what, 12 million the year before. And then it went to 226 million, 226 in one year. Yeah. Suddenly, all these companies decided to be so much more charitable for the mayor's uh, charity. It's 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 amazing. And it shows how this extortion racket of, polit of, of politics works. No, it's exactly right. And, uh, you know, I think it's one of the reasons why what uh, you spent your career doing and what I think we do here at the Government Accountability Institute and what we try to do here on the Drill Down podcast. Right. This is the stuff, you know, this has been reported. There's an article in Reason that one of our researchers did, but it hasn't really gotten a ton of mainstream pickup. And so I think that's why reminding people of the, the vehicles and the systems that are designed by politicians to allow companies to kind of feather the nest of these politicians so that they can benefit in some way that's a bit underhanded or certainly not in the sunshine, uh, it remains, I think, a very real problem, something we need to talk about. Last week, we told you about the examples of COVID money that was being given to build and enhance, you know, Marriott's in Saudi Arabia and build gazebos and spending money on pet causes all over the world that didn't seem to have much to do with 
global health. So I guess it shouldn't shock us that, uh, you know, in the name of global health and the global pandemic relief efforts, we're also seeing politicians kind of seize the opportunity to make stuff happen. But that's why there's a lot of things that have been happening. The last year and a half has been insane in terms of the changes to the way we govern, the amount of money we spend on things. And that's why I think, you know, it's one of the reasons why we started this podcast, so we can stay committed to ferreting these things out and exposing them. And that's what we try to do at thedrilldown.com. Absolutely. And we're going to continue to hold them into account. We're going to stay on these stories and we are going to expose people uh, wherever it takes us. And just as a reminder, thank you so much for listening. You can always find more content, more episodes and the sources and research we are using to produce these podcasts at thedrilldown.com. Find us on social media. We look forward to talking to you there and giving you the information you won't get anywhere else. This is Peter Schweitzer joined by Eric Eggers. Thanks so much for joining us on The Drill Down. 